God, we're grateful um, to be together. And we're grateful to have your word with us as we gather so we can open it and read and hear from you. And I think that is my main prayer right now, God, as we enter into this time, that as we read a, a pretty good um, chunk of scripture together this morning, that, Lord, it really would be your words spoken to us through the Holy Spirit that we remember, that we walked out encouraged by. I pray we walk out of here with our faith built up. I, I pray we walk out of here challenged, but also encouraged. And Lord, with a greater belief in the gospel and the goodness of what Christ has done for us. So we just ask that you would accomplish that in our hearts uh, this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter 13. Um, if you remember last week, we jumped back into our uh, long-running sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 13 uh, today. We have a lot of text to cover today. We're going to do verses 1 all the way through verse 30. So I need you to do a couple of things. You need to have your Bible open on your lap or your phone app open on your lap, ready to go, ready to read as we read through this text, because we're going to cover a lot of ground together, and I want to make sure that you can track uh, with what we're going to cover. And, and also, I want you to see the theme that we're going to be talking about this morning kind of come out of the, this text as we read different stories and parables and teachings from Jesus here in Luke chapter 13. And this morning, I'm, I'm really hopeful and here's why I'm hopeful, because I believe that what we're going to be talking about this morning is the one thing that, that if this were to grow in our hearts, if we were to see fruit in our lives in, in this particular area, it would, it would change everything. I think it would transform everything for us if we saw this grow in our hearts. I think it would stir our love for Jesus and our passion to follow him. I, I, if you're married, I think it will transform your marriage. I think it will bring joy into your life. I think it will completely transform how you love and see and view other people. I think if, if this, if as a church, we saw this one thing grow in our hearts, I think we would reach far more people in our town. And so we're gonna go to Luke 13, jump right in to see what that is. Let me give you quick context as we jump into it. Uh, remember, Jesus is on his final journey to Jerusalem where he will go to the cross. And we talked a bit about that last week, but in this final journey, as Jesus is headed with his sights set on the cross, He's beginning to talk a little bit more urgently about matters of salvation and judgment. We see Jesus doing a lot of teaching on what the kingdom of God is, but how does one get into the kingdom of God? And, and what does it mean for someone who is not admitted to the kingdom of God? And so we see Jesus begin to speak more plainly and urgently about these matters. And I think you'll see that here um, in Luke 13, 1 to 30. So we're going to take this chunk by chunk. We'll start here in verse 1, go through verse 5 to start. Here's what the text says. It says, 
There were some present at that very time. So just remember, there's a huge crowd around Jesus and he's been teaching while on this journey. So there were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. We'll explain that in a second. And Jesus answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So here's what must have been going on, all right? Jesus with a crowd of people, and there was probably some gossip or just some talking amongst the group about these two particular tragedies that occurred. And to be honest, we actually don't really have any historical record of these two things that Jesus referred to. So these just must have been things that happened during their day that that most people knew about or talked about or kind of word of mouth. It spread throughout the different towns and villages. And so the first one is, is kind of brutal but is basically what seems to have happened is there is a group of Galileans, so that's people from the northern region of Israel, that's where Jesus is from, right, who pilgrimage down to Jerusalem, or I guess I should say up to Jerusalem, all right, to offer sacrifices at the temple, and they had a run-in with Pontius Pilate. Remember, Pilate is the Roman governor that kind of governs the area for the Roman Empire. And in that running with Pontius Pilate, they were killed and Pilate in just this gross anti-Semitic act, I guess, mingled their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. Kind of the sacrilegious type of thing that he did. And so that kind of spread throughout the villages. And then the other tragedy is uh, there's a tower in Siloam, which is a region of Jerusalem, that I guess it one fell over and killed many people. And People kind of talked about that incident. And so I think what was happening is some gossip was occurring. You know, the kind of, I guess, Jewish, you know, nighttime talk show hosts were starting to talk about it. And basically there's rumors started to spread that the people involved in these tragedies were worse sinners than others because these things happened to them. That, that God kind of used these things to judge them. And so Jesus really quickly just shuts that down. And Jesus basically goes to them and he says, listen, verse three and verse five, do you think they were worse than everybody else? No, they weren't, right? All of you must repent or perish. Right, Jesus is saying God doesn't piecemeal judge people, right? We don't follow like a karma type system where, you know, if you have a bad day, God might do things like throw traffic into your day and make you stop at a bunch of stoplights or maybe even do something really, really bad like take one of your children or make harm come to you. Now, that's not how God works. Or if you have a really great day and you did the church thing and you read your Bible and you do all this stuff that God's going to somehow make your day easier for you. That's not the kind of way that God interacts with his people or blesses his people or judges his people. No, he says, no, all must repent or perish. And so 
What is repentance? That's what I want to talk about today. That's the one thing that I'm referring to. What is this heart of repentance that Jesus says we must all have? See, I think a heart of repentance is a heart that is very, very aware of its sin. A heart that is very aware of how much it has fallen short of God's ways and God's word. A heart that longs to grow, to change, to to get forgiveness. And a heart that is increasingly seeking to have itself more aligned with Jesus, right? I think a heart of repentance is someone who is always looking to, how is my heart not aligned with Jesus? I wanna be aware of that and I wanna see my heart grow to be in more alignment with Jesus. I think that's repentance. A perfect example of this is in Psalm 51. Let's just detour over there for a second to Psalm 51. I'm just gonna read a couple of verses out of it, not the whole thing. But if you remember, uh, Psalm 51 is the psalm that King David penned uh, after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. And this is a psalm of repentance. I want you to see a couple of these verses that David writes, like verses 16 and 17. David says to God, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So what David is saying is, God, what you want from me, you don't want religious ritual from me. You don't want me to just go to the temple and do the thing. What you want from me is a broken and contrite heart. A heart that says, I'm aware of how I'm not in alignment, God, with you, and I wanna see change and growth, and I wanna confess that I'm aware of that, right? Great example. Or if you go up to verse 10 in Psalm 51, David says, God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Help my heart be aligned with yours. And so this is repentance. It literally means to change your mind and feel remorse to go, man, I was wrong there and I want to change. And so a person that's got a heart of repentance inside of them is is someone who's not surprised by criticism, right? Criticism doesn't kind of make them just kind of pull out all their guns of defenses. It's it's not surprising to them when they they hear that. Um, a, A heart of repentance is a heart that is very aware of itself and how it can impact others. That's one of our values here at Grace Hill. We wanna be aware of our own hearts and its impact on others, right? A heart of repentance doesn't lurch towards defense, but it lurches towards understanding and seeking to, hey, where have I gone wrong here? And so this is the one thing that I said, if we see grow in our hearts, I think it changes everything. I really do. I think it transforms your heart, your faith, 
your relationships, your marriage. I, I just, it transforms everything when we see this begin to grow in our hearts. When we have a heart that is completely unsurprised that it needs to grow. Jesus is going to continue to teach on this. Look at verse six in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 13, verse six. He's gonna tell us a parable. So he told this parable, all right? So same crowd, he just got done saying repent or perish. Now he's telling a parable so we can understand a little bit better. So Jesus says this, remember a parable is just a kind of a fictitious story to make a point. A man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look for three years now, remember Jesus has been walking around in ministry for three years. For three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And the vine dresser answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it, put some manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. So we have this parable and you kind of, God is the owner of the vineyard, you could say, and, and, and his people are like these fig trees and he's walking around and he's looking for fruit on the fig trees. He's looking for fruit that they have the kind of heart that God produces in people and he's not finding it. And this is Jesus kind of offering a stinging rebuke to the Jews and Pharisees, the religious leaders around him, following him right then and there, because he's basically saying, for three years I've been walking around teaching you about the kingdom of God, and I have seen no fruit from that. So what is the fruit in this parable that God is looking for? What is the fruit in this parable that Jesus is looking for for him to not bring judgment on that particular person. And I think because that this follows immediately what Jesus just said in verses one to five, that that fruit is repentance, a heart of repentance, a having hearts that are aligned with his, aware where they're not aligned with his and seeking that change and growth. And you might go, well, Alan, wait, I, there's all kinds of fruits. You know, Galatians 5, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, there's all kinds of different fruits, Alan. But yeah, what I'm saying is that none of those fruits come out without a heart of repentance. There is no love in the way that God defines love without a heart of repentance or joy or patience and kindness and goodness and self-control, those, those things don't bud without a heart of repentance. So Jesus gives us an example. In the text, we get an example. Go to the, go to the next, verse 10. It says, now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath day. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Now, we don't know what that means. Is that a demonic spiritual kind of thing? Is that a physical sickness or malady or injury? We don't know. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, 
And I would venture to guess that Jesus was the first person to see her in a long time, given what we're about to read. Because Jesus sees people like her. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Incredible moment. Like if we saw that in our midst, the son of God with us healing someone who had been disabled for 18 years, man, we would just bust out in praise. Would we? Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, so he's the pastor, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. I mean, how could he? Said to the people. So the pastor stands in front of his people and he says this, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. And I love how the text answers. Then the Lord answered him. It didn't say then Jesus answered him. I mean, it's Jesus, but he says, no, the Lord King of kings and the Lord of lords said this to him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. This is a shining example of a fig tree with no fruit on it. Because what Jesus basically says is, oh, I can't heal this woman on the Sabbath day, but you have written in your subsequent books that you have written that have provided more clarification on the laws of Moses. You have written that it's okay for you on the Sabbath day to go take care of your donkey, but I can't take care of this woman. It's a shining example of someone who sees Jesus do incredible, redemptive, restorative work and his heart is hard. His heart is not aligned with the heart of Jesus. He is unaware of it. He is standing firm. Jesus went against his rules and he will not have it. No remorse. You know, I, I, uh, I can't read this scripture in Luke 13, this particular story, and not think about um, how I was like the synagogue ruler. I, may have, I know I've told this story before, but I can't, I can't read Luke 13 without telling it. Um, I was a pastor at a church in Fairfax, a church called Sojourn a long time ago, and... Um, I was an associate pastor, and I'll never forget this day. We were having service. I was standing in the back, wasn't preaching or anything that day. And this woman came into our service who was clearly homeless. And so she came, she sat in our service. And at the end of the service, our pastor Justin was on stage, and he was just ending the service, reading a scripture to send us out. And this woman stands up and goes, no, don't, don't end the service. I need prayer. I need prayer. And I was standing in the back of the service, seeing this 
interruption and I was indignant. And then I watched our pastor so gently care for her and pray for her and ask her questions, minister to her. She goes back and sits, then he ends the service and and it's all fine. And then later that week, I read Luke 13. And it was like the Holy Spirit just popped me between the eyes. It says, you're the synagogue ruler. Your heart isn't aligned with my heart here. Yeah, maybe that didn't go the way you wanted it to go, but my heart is to care for people, especially those who are marginalized. So we live in a world where to examine ourselves, right? To admit we're wrong, to admit that my heart isn't always aligned with the heart of Jesus. That is a rare occurrence and it's considered weak in the world that we live in, right? We have all been spiritually formed and discipled by the world to believe that to be vulnerable, to be small, to be insignificant, to admit that we need to grow, to not have it all together, to not know everything, to not have an answer to everything, all of that means immaturity and all of that means that you might get taken advantage of. And so we have to defend ourselves. We have to project strength. We have to project that we have knowledge and expertise about everything. We can never be small and insignificant. That's how our world has discipled us. And we say, hey, if if I were to have a heart that is open to any criticism that comes my way, or if I were to have a heart that is open to any way that God might challenge me, or if I have a heart that is open to any time maybe my spouse comes and has a criticism for me, if I don't have some defense, then I'm gonna get taken advantage of. That is not a safe thing for me to do. And many of us have been taken advantage of us in different ways. But, but is it possible that in the infinite wisdom and sovereignty of God, God has said, no, the fruit that I want is a heart of repentance in all scenarios. And through that, through that very small sacrifice, through allowing yourself to be small and insignificant, through allowing yourself to have some humility, I'm gonna do something amazing with that. Incredible with that, that you can never imagine. Keep going in our text, verse 18. He said, therefore, this is in response to this incident at the synagogue. What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, smallest seed they would have been aware of, that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and The birds of the air made their nests in its branches, right? The kingdom of God is something that starts very small and insignificant and almost unseen, so vulnerable and weak. And yet God does something incredible with it. Verse 20, and again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, yeast, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flowers until it was all leaven, just a little bit of yeast that eventually works its way throughout the entire dough. 
I believe that having a heart of repentance, having awareness of where our hearts are not aligned with the heart of Jesus and how our hearts impact others. I believe that living a life where we let our defenses down, that that is what God wants from his people. But I believe it's rare. It's not what the Jewish leaders had a reputation for. And I don't think it's what the church has a reputation for either in our culture. Jesus has some words for that. Keep going on our passage, verse 22. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Jesus said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. Come on, Jesus, you know us. We did all the things. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. All you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west, from the north and the south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Jesus says the way into the kingdom is narrow. And what he's doing is he's rebuking the Jewish leaders that are with him right there. He's saying, just because you did all the things, just because you went to temple, just because you followed me in the streets, just because whatever it is doesn't mean that you'll be admitted to the kingdom. Just because in this particular context, you are Jewish. It doesn't mean you'll be entered into the kingdom. And then he says, there will be people who will come in from east, west, north, and south. He's saying people from all over the world, Gentiles will come into the kingdom. But he's saying the way into the kingdom is narrow. Why is it narrow? I mean, how have you traditionally thought of this passage before? I mean, we've heard that, most of us, I think, this idea that the way is narrow, to get in? What does that mean? Right? I mean, does that mean that it's kind of like you have to be the one to solve the mystery? You have to be the one to, to find the narrow way? You have to be the one to do all of the right things to get in? What does it mean that it's, it's narrow? You have to be strong enough, good enough, holy enough? What's the standard that Jesus is talking about here. You know, when you think about the word narrow, it's a relative term, right? Something is narrow depending on what you're comparing it to. 
Right? You walked into all those double doors to get into this auditorium today. To the average human being, those doors are not narrow. They're not narrow. You walked right on in. You were fine. It was not hard to enter the auditorium today. But if an elephant was trying to walk through those doors, that's too narrow. It's too narrow for the elephant to get through those doors, right? So when the scripture says that the way is narrow, it's not saying that God is seeking to limit the kingdom of God, this kind of survival of the fittest type of way. No, what he's saying is the way of the kingdom is narrow to those without repentance, those whose pride is too wide to fit in. Jesus said, repent or perish. Repentance is the way to the kingdom. Laying down your defenses is the way to the kingdom. Right, let me, let me remove the religious language from that here for a second. God is saying, I'll make a way into my kingdom. There is a way into my kingdom. I'll make that door actually be wide open if you'll just admit that you need me to get in. If you'll just be aware of the fact that you need me to pick you up and to walk you in. I'll make a way and that way will be wide open for you if you admit you need me to help you get in. That you can't do it yourself if you will give me your broken and contrite heart. My family, this is the gospel. When God says there's a way into his kingdom that is narrow, this isn't some fear mongering, oh my gosh, I hope you find it, I hope you better get in. No, this is God saying, you need to have a heart of repentance in order to get in because listen, the heart of repentance will look to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, that is my only hope. That's it. There's no hope inside of me. There's no hope to make it in. There's no hope to be good enough or to know enough. I will not find it. I won't fit in there. No, I need the cross of Jesus Christ. I have to put my trust in Jesus who took all of my sin and gave me his righteousness and said that if I'll just jump on his back, he will walk right in. Because at the end of the day, it's only Jesus who's worthy to walk through that door. It is none of us. But only someone with a heart of repentance will put that kind of trust in Jesus. To say, you're all that I need. You're the only thing that can help me be made right with God. And so that's why Jesus is saying to the Jewish leaders, listen, it's not about your record keeping the law. You can be admitted into the kingdom, but you have to have a heart of repentance. Even those from the east and the west and the north and the south, if they have a heart of repentance and trust in Jesus, they will be admitted into the kingdom of God. For the one with a heart of repentance, there's no sin too wide that will keep them out of the kingdom. But for most people, tragically, I think, both inside and outside of the church, the way is too narrow. The way is too narrow. 
because they refuse to have a heart of repentance and they bear no fruit because there is no heart of repentance. And I believe that this is the one thing that can bring total transformation to your life because when we put on a heart of repentance, what we do is we invite the power of God to do its work inside of us. When we put on a heart of repentance, we go, God, I'm good with being small and insignificant like a little mustard seed and let you do a work in my life that you want to do. I believe that if we are a church that is gentle and has a heart of repentance, then we will display the kingdom of God to the world, not in big flashy ways, but in God's way. And so here's what I want to do to end our time together real quick is I wanna give each of us um, three diagnostic questions for us to ask ourselves. Right, these are questions that we should write down. Okay, so get your phone out, write these down, pen, and later sit with them. Sit with them. And I want you to pay attention to your answers to these questions. Pay attention to the reaction of your heart to these questions. Because I think that these questions will, will help us to understand what does repentance look like in me today? So these are questions that are designed a little bit to poke, but they're in love. Because I think we need to sometimes confront these things in our hearts. And I hope that these things do nothing but move us towards trusting in Jesus as our savior. So here's the first question, all right? Here's the first question. Hopefully I get them on the screen. When criticized by anyone, doesn't matter who, does your heart lurch toward defense or understanding? Does your heart lurch towards counter-accusation? Or let me ask you a few more questions about that. I wanna try to understand. What's the instinct of your heart? Like if your spouse comes to you or a family member or a coworker and there's criticism, whether it's done well or it's done not good at all, does your heart lurch towards there's no way that that is true. There is no way that I'm that weak. There is no way that what you're saying about me could possibly be right. Or does your heart lurch towards that could be, that could be possible? I wanna understand more. Which one? I, I, I think these are, these are questions that, that kind of arise a lot of fears in us because we go, well, hold on, Al, I don't wanna be a pushover. I don't wanna do this or that. And sometimes people attack and they don't have good motives. And that's, that's all true. But a heart of repentance will kind of craft a heart that goes, I wanna understand because I'm very well aware that I could be capable of everything that you just accused me of. Like that wouldn't shock me. So I wanna understand. And I think that that will be, as we think about that question, that will help us to understand our relationship with God, our relationship with God's word. Because when we read the word, when we're challenged by the word, is our instinct to go, that's not me. I don't struggle with that. I have a different interpretation of that. 
Or is it, I wanna understand more because I so desire for my heart to be aligned with the heart of Jesus. And that might mean, get this guys, this is so hard. That might mean in this moment, I have to get smaller, not bigger, not stronger, weaker, because I trust in Jesus. Second question. This one's tough. I'm so sorry. This one hurt me a little bit, and I was writing it. Are you examining yourself right now in this moment? Are you thinking about the people in your life that need to hear this message? It's so hard. Even as I'm writing the script, uh, writing the sermon, it's in my heart. Is our hearts lurching towards the weakness of others or our hearts lurching towards understanding the weakness of ourselves? Because that might demonstrate your instinct in you might might be to accuse others rather than examine self. And I'm telling you, there could be nothing more transformative in your life. And again, I'll say your marriage, I'll say in your relationships with other people, your love for Jesus, your trust in the gospel, your belief that it's true. Nothing could be more transformative than having a heart that lurches towards examining self over accusing others. How many relationships have been destroyed needlessly How much witness has the church lost needlessly because we refuse to show ourselves as weak? We refuse to have a heart of repentance. We refuse to maybe think that there could be something wrong with me. Here's my last question. Do you believe, I want you to sit with this. Don't answer this too fast. Do you believe that if you were fully known So that's all of it, right? All of the things that you've done in your life, good, bad, ugly, all your thoughts, motivations, desires, everything. Do you believe that if you were fully known, you'd be rejected by God and his people? That people would just start thinking differently about you? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ says, The way of the kingdom is not narrow for those who are strong, for those who have it all together, for those who are able to pass these particular tests or whatever it is. No, it's saying that the way of the kingdom is for those who say, Jesus, I need you. And so I'm gonna give you my broken and contrite heart and I'm gonna have faith that you're not gonna reject me, you're gonna save me. And I'm gonna be joined into a family of people who I get to share my life with, everything, be known, and we get to love each other with a gospel love, which is a love that says, hey, our hope is Jesus. There's none of us that's better than the other. So you can be fully known here and loved because that's how Jesus loves us. Right, at Grace Hill, our our mission statement here at Grace Hill is that we wanna be a diverse community that follows Jesus, loves people, and is safe to be known. And the reason why we put safe to be known in there 
is because we believe down to our very bones, if you haven't noticed, that we can't do this alone and we will not grow a heart of repentance if we are not known. Because we can make it possible to believe that God doesn't reject us, that this gospel is actually true when we love each other with a gospel kind of love. So do you believe, I want you to sit with that, journal on this, meditate on this, that if you were fully known, you would be rejected by God and his people because it's untrue. And it's right there. That's how we begin to build this heart of repentance. That's not all about being down on yourself and navel gazing and all of this. No, it's about saying, God, I want to have a true view of myself. I want to grow. I want my heart to be aligned with yours. And I'm going to trust in Jesus alone to be my salvation, not myself. And I believe if we see that grow in us, it will be absolutely transformative in every way imaginable for each of our lives individually, for our families, and for our church. And so Grace Hill, let's, let's examine ourselves knowing that we don't have to be strong because Jesus is strong. We can be a mustard seed. We can be small. And we'll see what God does with us because he has big promises and big plans. Let's pray. Father, talking about repentance is always difficult. Because the Christian life isn't just about everything that we do wrong. The Christian life isn't just about how we need a savior because we're so terrible. No, the Christian life is about how much you love us, how you created us to be a part of your kingdom and how, yes, even though we have fallen short and we have rebelled and we deserve your judgment, how in your love you have come after us. And all you ask is that we would give you a broken and contrite heart, a heart that is fully aware and okay with the areas in which we have fallen away from you and perfectly content in asking for help. God, save us from our culture that just indoctrinates us, that if we were to live lives like that, we would do, we'd just get trampled over. So God, help us to trust in your sovereignty. Help us to trust in your power. Help us to know that it's far better to be a mustard seed in the kingdom of God than this towering oak in the kingdom of this world. Because it's gonna pass away. So God, I ask in each of us, grow a heart of repentance. Help us to believe the gospel. Help us to live on the gospel every day, knowing that you love us and you have saved us and you have taken us on your back and walked us through that narrow door. And so God, produce fruit in our lives. Would, would this bring about transformation in every part of our lives? We ask these things. Jesus' name, amen.